The problem with Babel wasn't the tower. Although humanity had planned a pretty impressive structure, at the end of the lesson we heard from Genesis, we note that when the city was abandoned, the tower wasn't mentioned, just the city, which suggests that the tower was perhaps not as integral to their efforts as we like to think. Nor was the problem with Babel humanity's desire to make a name for itself, at least not directly. We like to interpret this passage as a warning to those who would strive with God. But when God comes down to take a look at what humanity is up to, God doesn't take issue with the fact that the people are erecting a monument to themselves. Instead, when God names what is amiss, this is what God says. Look, they are one people, and they all have one language. As strange as it seems, the problem with Babel was the unanimity behind it. Rabbi Shai Held noted that in the first 10 chapters of Genesis, twice, God blesses humanity with the same commandment, be fertile, increase, and fill the earth. But when we find in chapter 11, the story of the people of Babel, we discover that humanity rejects this image, this dream of God for them and for the world, because, as they tell us, the thought of being scattered across the whole world filled them with fear. As Rabbi Held notes, what the people most fear is what God most wants. Of course, human beings can get a lot more and a lot more impressive things accomplished if we all have one mind, one voice, one language, one opinion, but how will the beautiful diversity of God be reflected in their work if all individuality has been sacrificed in the name of conformity? How will the labor of humanity be of God if there is no room among the people for a minority voice? Pentecost is not a moment that undoes Babel. It's a moment that embraces it. The disciples were all gathered that day in one place together. They'd had a hard time wrapping their minds around the truth of the resurrection. And the risen Jesus had come to them over and over. And finally, they had begun to glimpse it. So full of joy were they that when they bid farewell to their master as he ascended into heaven, they did so with joy in their hearts. They had pursued God's will for them as they reconstituted the twelve by choosing Matthias to replace Judas. And now they're all set. Everything is just the way it's supposed to be. They are all together perched in safety behind closed doors until the Holy Spirit came and found them. And when the Spirit comes, it doesn't come gently. It comes like a violent wind, a wind so forceful that it feels like it might rip the house apart. 
When the Spirit comes to the apostles, it descends as if fire landing on each of them, giving them the power to speak in other languages, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, which is to say all people heard the good news of God in her or his own language. And before Peter got up to address the crowd, one of the disciples leaned into his colleague and whispered, you know what this means, don't you? It means we're going on a road trip. <laughs> God's vision of the end, God's hope for the fulfillment of all things is not seen when all nations come together and give up who they are, who they've always been for the sake of unity and uniformity. Instead, God's vision is that the body of Christ, the church, might be empowered by the Holy Spirit to recognize and respect the diversity of all nations, the entire breadth of humanity, and then see amidst them the fullest expression of God who has called each by name, made them in God's image, and loved them. The Holy Spirit comes to the church and gives it the power to step outside itself, to live out the refreshingly unique good news of the gospel, which is that God loves not only all people, but all peoples, because all peoples have been made in God's image. Pentecost is the day when the church finally begins to see it. But here at St. Paul's, it seems like we've already got all that figured out, doesn't it? We know the power of God's love. We proclaim its limitless power. Our worship is beautiful and as meaningful as that of any congregation. We know what it means to love and serve others more than ourselves. If only the rest of the world could see what we have to know what we know. Come to think of it, why can't they? Why don't they? Why aren't all people members of St. Paul's? <laughs> why aren't all people Episcopalians? We are, after all, God's gift to this community and the world. <laughs> why don't we build a city for ourselves? A great name, a tower even, a tower that stretches all the way to the heavens so that those who inhabit that tower can look down and be sure that everyone and everything happens just the way we think it ought to happen, the right way, God's way. God's will is to bless us by scattering us across the face of the earth. The instinct to celebrate who and what we are always leads to the temptation to believe that we are good and that others could be good too if they would just be like us. And the thought of being dispersed, of being diffused throughout the world is threatening to us. It's fearful because we don't want to lose that thing which we know and love best, which is our identity. And so we, too, are most afraid of the thing that God most wants. 
And that thing is our original blessing. It is the fullness of God which can only be known and experienced in the entire diversity of the human race, all made in God's image. The Holy Spirit comes not to bring us together, but to fling us apart. It comes to empower us to recognize salvation in the peoples and languages and cultures and traditions that are most different from our own. For too long, the church has been a monument to Christians who look and think and act like us. A white, European, colonial beacon to the nations that says, if you want to find God, it better be our God and it better be our way. But that's not evangelism. That isn't sharing good news. It's an assault on the one who made all peoples in God's image. It's a theology that leads to us devaluing other people as less than human. It's the theology that makes it possible for us to support the indefensible. Slavery, lynching, segregation, mass incarceration, and the shooting of innocent, unarmed black men. God is bigger than that. God has always been bigger than that, and we must be bigger than that too. The only one who can wrap its arms around the entire breadth and diversity of the human race is the one who has made all of us in God's own image. The one who calls us God's own, not because we are the same, but precisely because we are different. The one who blesses us by scattering us to the ends of the earth. May God's spirit come and fill us with that blessing, scattering us to the ends of the earth so that we finally might see what God has always seen, that salvation is all people made by God and loved by God. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.